You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me today is Photoshop Wizard and my good friend, Mr. Greg Vance. How are you, Greg? Hey, Jeff. Que paso? How's it going, man? <laughs> uh, it's good, good. I'm so glad that you uh, you agreed to come on the show and, and talk about this. It's it's going to be a fun discussion, I think. It, it's something that I think a lot of listeners are going to benefit from. So I'm, I really love that when we can when I can find guests that are going to come on and, and really help our listeners. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I wanted to make sure everyone knew right up front the disclaimer. This is not a paid ad. It's, it may it may feel like it for for Greg's extension, but it's just it's such a good extension. It's such a good product. It's one I truly believe in. And I reached out to Greg. He didn't reach out to me, so I was the one that wanted to do this episode. And uh, I'm just a, a I'm a loving paying customer <laughs> of Greg's Lumenzia product that we're going to talk a lot more about today. If you are unfamiliar with luminosity masking, and just those words, I think, bring fear to a lot of people's hearts, Greg, <laughs> luminosity masking. We did an episode already, Greg and I did, uh, back in November of 2018 in Photo Taco. We did an episode that is called, What is Luminosity Masking? And if you've been following the show for a long time, you are already familiar, but there's so many new listeners. I just want to raise and bring up the resources that are available. So you can go check that out. Um, Maybe before you like really worry about what we're talking about in this episode, you might want to go listen to or check out that one so you can kind of build your foundation and be ready for this. But Greg's got a fantastic extension that he calls Lumenzia. And uh, he's just got a brand new version, version nine that has been released and I wanted to start off first, Greg, by talking about what's new. Most of the listeners, when I asked in the Facebook group about what their questions were, most of them were saying, we just want to know what's new. Highlight what is what is new in version 9 of your extension panel. So why don't we start there? Why don't you just walk me through kind of your top few things that are new in the extension that you want to highlight? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, the full change list is available on my site. It's like 170 different bug fixes (laughs) and enhancements and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, if I had to to point to like one major theme, it's just an overall better experience in ways that are hard to put your finger on. I mean, it's a combination of just little subtle things that make your life easier. Um, You know, and, and that's that's perhaps my favorite thing is just it should just be a better experience without having to think about it. The interface looks almost the same. I mean, really small changes. I always try to be careful not to force people to have a new learning curve, Um, you know, but of course there's always new things, right? And and so, you know, one of the things you'll see if you're newly installing it is a more prominent, like, you know, utility to help optimize Photoshop. So it'll go in and, you know, if you have any problems with like color management or certain settings are going to be an issue, it'll take care of that. It'll offer to update your menus where I've got like this color coded menu system that a lot of people use of mine and it'll just install it for you. Things like that. So just right off the bat, get you up and running. Um, you know, you just come storming out of the gates kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of like little uh, things like the, the basics panel now has a fade slider. So, you know, if you make a brush stroke and you want to kind of partially undo it, you hit the fade slider and you can just dial it back to anywhere from like zero to hundred percent of the last thing you, you did. 
Um, you, know, you can reload the last orange preview layers you're using in Lumenzia by hitting a button and they come back up with all the little adjustments you made to them. So if you're in there tweaking the levels or the black and white conversion or whatever, it's exactly the way you were playing with it. So you can take it from there and, and do more. Um, so a lot of just little things like that that make uh, life easier. Um, but then there's some other you know bigger things in there, like uh, there's the new out of gamut masks, meaning that you know luminosity masks are kind of this catch-all term. It, it generally refers to anything that's derived from the image content. And one of the ways you can work in, in Lorenzi now is to select pixels which are out of gamut, and it'll help you select them by how far out of gamut they are. So if you get this really wild and crazy sky color, it'll be more selected than the thing that's a little bit out of whack. So to try and help with you know conversion from your image in pro photo to something you want to share in sRGB on the web or um, or even just other creative ways of editing. Like in my V9 demo I showed, I had some blue sky that was a little overdone on one side and I used it to kind of just balance out the sky. Mm -hmm. right. um, and that's maybe even just easier to see it. Um, and then there's you know things like um, subtracted selections are really popular and now you can just double click the, the minus button and it'll just automatically, you know, create your whatever selection or mask you have it'll make it a subtracted version which is a, a really nice way of working with shadows to get better shadow results if you're familiar with those um, and then things like uh, the special selections in, in channels so you can create a selection a channel or a layer based on pretty much any color model whether it's you know hue saturation brightness lab cmyk you know whatever you want to do there so a lot, lot of new things there. Probably the best way to get your head around the new features is just look at the, the release notes and the, the V9 demo I have. I think unlike in the past where maybe I had like one or two things I really hammered on, this one is just like a, a gazillion little enhancements to make your, your life easier, but a few things that are notable that you should just be aware they're there so you can start taking advantage of them. You know, I've, I've been using the panel for a few years now, and I... I know what I want to get done in the panel. And so I know that those features really well, but there's every time I watch your, your videos, like, Oh, I didn't know it did that. <laughs> I didn't know that was there. Uh, it, it can like, there's just, sorry, a lot to this extension. And uh, it, it's super exciting to me. The um, is, is anything having to change for you as we go to Photoshop 2021, like the new, but most recent releases, is, is there anything like you can have to rewrite Lumenzia? Um, no. So th some people may have heard of something called UXP, which is right. like an entirely new way of creating extension panels for Photoshop that just came out. Um, and eventually that's the way I think all these panels are, are going to be created. Um, you know, and, and that's an opportunity, but it's, it's also early days. Like UXP right. is, is not, what's that? I said, right. It's, it's way early on UXP. They don't have everything in there yet. No, like I, I could not possibly recreate the Lumenzia experience as a UXP panel today. Right. I mean, eventually you'd expect feature parity and it'll do all those things and do more. I mean, there's some things about UXP that I think will be really nice down the road, but it's it's more of like something for developers to play with right now and start moving over. And, you know, I, I'm in there. I've got a, a free web sharpening panel that I've written in UXP and I'm going to talk more about that in the you know coming weeks as I you know release some some updates to it. Um, but that's that's more down the road. And and the existing style of panels like Lumenzia uses with which are known as CEP panels, that's going to be around for a long time. And there's a lot of stuff out there like that. And 
that continues to work, whether you're using the latest, you know, Apple software and hardware or the latest Photoshop, like that's that's going to be around for for a while. Um, the the one thing about uh, the new version of Photoshop that you know does more directly impact Lumenzia is in the basics panel, it now has a button um, that's just called Sky, which lets you take advantage of new Sky uh, selection and Sky replacement features in Photoshop and gives you enhanced capability with them. So with the existing tool in Photoshop, you can do some really cool things, but you can do even more with the way that it's done in Lumenzia. So it's kind of built on the, on the back of that. Um, but, but outside of that, there's, you know, you can use version nine, you know, with the oldest or newest, you know, operating systems and you can use it from CS six through Photoshop 2021. And it's, uh, you know, there's kind of, everyone's using a little bit of everything out there and, and everything's been going great since launch. So I know it's, it's all running well. Right. So I, I want to put out my caveat then, though I still don't recommend the latest version of Photoshop. Uh, it's both Photoshop and Lightroom have had some pretty significant bugs. Um, not everyone, like every time I say this, people are like, "I'm just fine. I don't have a single issue." I'm like, good for you. <laughs> you are lucky that you didn't end up having an issue. But boy, the forums are just killed. And actually, it's more on the Lightroom side of things. Than it is the Photoshop side of things, but you really kind of want those two things in sync. Uh, there's benefits to having those two things in the same the same version, and it's it's hard to tell because the version numbers. I have a whole article over at phototacopodcast.com about all of this if you want to want to go check that out. But yeah, if you want to avoid some pain, it's just not quite ready. Before we got on, Greg, you were talking about like you got to have you got to give yourself some sort of a deadline to get these releases out. You got version nine, you've been working on it forever, and you finally had to like say, this is it. I'm cutting it here. <laughs> this is going to be the version. It feels like Adobe had their Adobe Max conference was their deadline and the engineers were racing as hard as they could to get it ready. And it just wasn't quite ready, but they had to release anyway. And, uh, and they're still working on it. It feels like to me. So um, if you can't afford any kind of bumps, I'd say don't, don't upgrade to the most recent version just yet. It's closer. They just released some new stuff as we we're recording the same day we recorded. They just released some new versions. So hopefully they've addressed some things. Yeah, I, I get a lot of uh, questions from folks who run into some problem that's it's not related to my software. Right, right. It's running in Photoshop, right? So I, I see these issues. And I would say most people are doing pretty well with 2021. But you're right. There's definitely some people who are having some real pain. And, and my general advice is always you can install different years of Photoshop simultaneously. So you do not have to uninstall 2020 to right. try out 2021. Right. And I always tell people like, go ahead and install the new one. Just don't get rid of the old one until you've been using the new one for a while and everything looks good. Right. Yeah. And the Lightroom side of things is where there's the bigger disaster right now. So <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Um, okay. So I wanted to go through some listener questions. Thanks for the the rundown. Um, but I, I think as we go through these listeners questions, as, as we go through them, I think we're going to talk about a little bit more specific stuff. Um, and I, I, let's just start with the, the very first question that came in the Facebook group. The, the sad part about the Facebook group, I just did a test over the last couple of weeks and I think at best, we have about 10% of the group seeing the posts that are happening there. So, so when I put a post out that says, hey, what questions do you have? There's like uh, less than 10% of you probably that even saw that post, even though you joined the group and said you were interested. 
Um, unless Facebook gets their pound of flesh from us, <laughs> they, they won't let all of you see those posts. And so it's, it's not really working very well. But for those that did see it and got some questions, uh, I'm really glad that that's happening. And I think that most of these questions are representative of what a lot of the listeners would have. So I, I hope that's the case. But yeah, if you're listening to this, I don't know how to tell you like what more, if you went and manually checked the group, I guess, every day to see if there's something there, which is a pain in the butt. Um, but I, most of you are not seeing anything from the group. And it's it's sad to me. I wish there was something besides paying a lot of money to make you see the posts that we could do. But uh, that's the way Facebook works today. So let's start with uh, Jordan Chappelle. As we go through this, saying names is always dangerous. <laughs> I, I will, without fail have a problem of either mispronouncing the name or um, misidentifying whether it's a male or female person <laughs> that's that's behind the name. A lot of these names, you just, you know, it could be either way. You don't know. So uh, I apologize if I mispronounce your name or call you a he when you're a she or vice versa <laughs> as we go through this. But Jordan said, I had a couple of open-ended questions. And I the first one is, I think, for you, Greg. And the second one, I think, is definitely just for me. But the first one he said, do, or Jordan said, do you think the luminosity masking look will end up like HDR or Orton glow, et cetera, as a dated look of today or instead embedded in what all of us do? So what do you, what do you think, Greg? Um, I, I think more the latter that it's here to stay. And I would say that the, the look with luminosity masking is totally up to you right now. So it's important to understand that the thing about luminosity masks is they do not do anything to your image. A mask is just revealing something you've already done to your image, right? You've, you've processed the raw, you've imported a different exposure. You have something that has all the pixel values and then the mask is just revealing them. So, you know, at the end of the day, the look is really totally separate from the luminosity mask itself. It's just how you process and, and how you use it. Um, I mean, that said, there, there are certain styles that people gravitate towards with luminosity masking and, and you see that sort of evolution, but um, I think luminosity masks are, are not going to go away. It's the ultimate form of control. I don't think we're going to see, you know, some other HDR like thing, replace it or AI or something like that. It gives you so much control as an artist. Um, but I do think we may see some evolution in the style, just like, you know, certain types of clothing are popular or whatever, like over time, certain types of photography are popular. And I think people will adapt their use of luminosity masks as they, you know, certain styles fall in or out of favor over time. But it's, it's, I definitely don't think it's going to go away. Yeah. So what do you think it is? What, what do you think the Jordan's getting at with the look? What kind of look do you think there is with luminosity masking? Um, you know, I, I think it depends on what you're coming from and what you see, right? Like there are images out there that use luminosity masks. You would never say they use a luminosity right, mask. And right. then there's other images that people share. And I think, um, as I think about what people assume is a luminosity mask, like I, I'm going to assume that from this question that Jordan's probably not using like luminosity mask day in, day out. Right. And, and it's more looking at what other people do. Right. And that's probably where the question comes from. Um, and so it really depends on what you're looking at. What I have found um, catches people's eye and it makes some kind of question is like, do you have, for example, like too much shadow detail? Do you have too much color? Right. Uh, and these are these are stylistic choices that, you know, kind of, as I said, I think they will change, right? Like, you know, whenever people get a new tool, 
they like push it to extremes <laughs> until they realize like that doesn't look very good. And then they try something else. Yeah. Like without um, fail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. right. Well, and, and honestly, yeah, and that's, I, I think, mean, go ahead, Greg. Master something we could have been doing 20 years ago in Photoshop. Yeah. Right. And we're talking about it now more than ever. And, and so what you're really talking about is more like the cultural, you know, expectations or the use of the tool more than the tool. Like, you know, in in Photoshop six, what I started on in two thousand, I'm sure I could have used Luminosity Mass. I don't remember exactly what the capabilities are, but they, these are not new tools and they're not going away. What's what's new is just how commonly they're being used and taught, and, and people see them. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's it's very open ended. It, it's like any tool, any editing tool, like you just said. We no tool, every tool that you use is going to get abused and make images look terrible. That's just how it is. And, and in some ways that's part of the learning process. I think I, I went through it and it seems like every photographer, when they get into this and they're, they're trying to do some editing, when you figure out like I can raise the shadows, I can see a whole bunch of detail. That's really cool. I like that. Then you abuse it <laughs> and you take it too far. <laughs> and, um, and over time you, you look and you're like, actually that's just not great in an image. And that uh, HDR was very much that way. Same thing. It revealed a lot of, detail in dark areas where it really wasn't accessible before probably because in some cases there was so much noise you're like oh that's bad and and so they would you wouldn't reveal the shadows but with hdr and you have multiple exposures and the ice the the noise wasn't there you go too far and orton effects and things come in and out of style too there's there's lots of things we can look at. You can look at pictures that like from the eighties and you can tell immediately it's a picture from the eighties based on the styles and how it was processed and things like that. It, there's definitely timeframes we go through, but um, as, and, and maybe the look, if I was to try to say for me, my experience, if there's a look, it's this really moody kind of look that I see from people that do really good with luminosity masking. I, I think th there's a lot of photographers I really respect and I think their processing capabilities are just really good and they produce very consistently a lot of really moody, moody images, but they convey emotion and that's there. So maybe if that's the look you're, you're, we're talking about, that's kind of the, a bit of a trendy thing right now is to have very, very moody kinds of images and, um, and maybe that's okay. But, but what I can't, what came to my mind when I read this question is if there's an absolute look to your photos there's probably something you're not quite doing right with <laughs> luminosity masking because the whole idea really is to make it so that it's not obvious that you make it made adjustments to the images. Would, would you agree with that, Greg? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, as you're saying that you, you really got me thinking, you know, I think one of the things that I would project going forward, right. Is in the last 10 years, we've never had more photography. Like everyone's right, a photographer. Right. Everyone's got a smartphone. All the digital cameras are really good. We've got Instagram, so people like go to the same awesome locations, like <laughs> right. And, and, and so you know, and then we're sharing everything, right? Like every possible thing you can take a picture of, we're sharing online, and so people are just saturated with images of popular places and you know popular styles. And I think if anything, you know, people will continue to break out with new styles and new ways of doing things because you know, how do you make you know, your image look different right. from the thousands of other images that might've been taken in, you know, Yellowstone or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think we'll see that. And I think you see when someone has like a really creative, great idea, a lot of people kind of copy that and that kind of sets like the new style. So you see like the dark moody 
style right now, right. but then eventually at some point, you know, that will be so common people gravitate to some other thing. Yeah. I think that has less to do with the technique being luminosity masks that were used to get there and more to do with like, this is a way I can make my images look different from other people's from, you know, the same location and, and they like it and it's, it's a kind of a trendy thing right now. So I, I don't think it's a direct result of luminosity masking as a technique, um, I think you can accomplish a lot of different looks with luminosity masking and, and do whatever you want to do with an image. And kind of the key to it is it's such a powerful thing because it can make adjustments to your images that are not as obvious as it might've been in the past. Some of the, there's, there's more flexibility than some of the other things mentioned here, like HDR there. What I, I think there's a lot more flexibility with luminosity masking. It's just kind of, where do you want to take the image and what do you, what was your kind of vision for it? So I, I think it's uh it's here to stay <laughs> as a technique and something a lot of photographers, I know it sounds super intimidating. I, I hear from listeners a lot who like, it's hard enough just to get Lightroom down and understand how do you leverage Lightroom, let alone Photoshop with all of its buttons and menus. And then add on top of that luminosity masking. And there's just people paralyzed in fear. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do or how to get into this. We're going to talk about a few more resources that people have to get into that. But I, I think it is here to stay that the second part of this, of Jordan's question is uh, when do you, and I think they're specifically saying me, Jeff stay in Lightroom to use its quick, easy luminosity color masking versus moving into Photoshop slash Lumenzia. In other words, what can Lightroom luminosity masking do just fine? And what needs to go to the big guns in PS and Photoshop? Um, so it, I, I love Lightroom. Lightroom is my primary tool. Um, and, and to some degree, the reason that that is the case has to do with my time management. I have a full-time day job that takes most of my time. I have family. I have... I have all kinds of things that are doing in my time for editing photos. I can't spend three days on an image. I just can't. <laughs> there's no, there's no realistic way for, for that to happen. And what little I do make, I, I have, I do family portraits. I do senior portraits. I do high school basketball. Um, so I have some clients. If I want to have the money that I, I bring in on those client jobs mean anything, I can't spend days in Photoshop working on these images as much as I would love to do that. I can't. So uh, Lightroom is my my way of keeping myself limited <laughs> to what I'm going to do on my images. I do everything I can to get it right in camera, which is make a massive difference in my image quality to get it right as much as you can. And I, I think that's a good thing for every photographer to hear uh, and and do Trying to rely on I'm going to fix it in post is a bad way of thinking. You don't. You want to go into a shoot trying to do everything you can to create the image you want in camera and maybe make some decisions because you know what you are going to do on the computer later But it, and rely on, on some things you're going to do at capture in your camera. But then to go from there into Lightroom, it, it, it's a nice thing that Adobe added to the adjustment brushes the gradient radio filters, they have something called a range mask that you can apply to them. And I love it. it it's a, it's another thing. It's another way to be able to try to, um, to have more power of deciding where your adjustments are going to be applied in your image. It's super helpful. I do use it. Um, but I do, I wouldn't say that it's coming even close to the same power as luminosity masking in Photoshop. 
Um, maybe a kind of similar kind of a, a analogy would be the spot removal tool in Lightroom. You can do some things with it. It can work for some cases, but it's not even close to content aware fill and the things that you can do in Photoshop to try to remove distracting objects or deal with things in your image that you don't want to be in there. And uh, that would be kind of the comparison I have here. There's, It's valuable. I like that it's there. Sometimes it might save me time from going into Photoshop because if the second I take an image in Photoshop, I'm going to spend too much time on it. That's for sure. And so, um, so I, I like it. I'm glad that Adobe put it in there. It's not, it's not really the same thing. <laughs> it's not, not close. Greg, what, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with all the things you're saying there. To me, it's, you know, there's, there's an endless range of things that Photoshop can do that Lightroom can't right. do. Right. So there's, there's always like more. Right. But to me, the first minute I'm usually thinking of going over to Photoshop is because I want more precision. Right. right? Like right. I can change, you know, color and exposure and all this kind of stuff in Lightroom. But when I go over to Photoshop, I can do the same thing, but just with so much better accuracy. Um, you know, and, that, and that's what luminosity masks are, are doing for me. Um, so yeah, that's usually the place where I kind of make that jump. Cause you, you know, yeah, you can play around with like gradients and, you know, range masks and that kind of stuff, but they're, they're really not that precise for making local no. adjustments. And after you make a couple of them, suddenly your image is cluttered with pins and you can't remember what's what. And, um, there, there comes a point when you try and do advanced stuff in Lightroom and not only is it less capable, it's actually more confusing and harder to do. So um, you know, I, I think the tools work great and, and it's not really an either, or it's just definitely a question of like, when are you done with one and moving to the other? And for me, uh, I don't do a whole lot of local adjustments in Lightroom. That's usually the place where I jump over to Photoshop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I found it occasionally has met my needs, but more often than not, it's, I try it and like, yeah, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I'm over into Photoshop to do, to do that. If, if I'm using luminosity range masks on the adjustments, uh, most, most of the time it's, it just doesn't do what I need. It's not precise enough. All right. Um, Brent wanted to know more about out of gamut masks. So we talked about a tiny bit at the beginning. Uh, Greg, tell, so we, you and I did a show about color range or color, color spaces a little bit ago uh, for photo taco so that people can go check that out. But um, go into a little more detail out of gamut masks, maybe like a, you, you mentioned an image where you wanted to kind of balance the sky colors just a little bit more. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So when, when we say out of gamut, we mean that you know, your, your image is in a certain color space and it, you know, all the colors exist in that space. When you go to some other color space, so maybe going from pro photo to sRGB, sRGB has a, a smaller set of colors and a color that exists in, in the bigger space that doesn't exist in the smaller one is out of gamut. And so these out of gamut masks are a way of creating a mask or a selection based on the areas of your image where the color is usually too saturated. It's out of gamut. Uh, and also shows you like the degree to which it's out of gamut. Um, and there's a lot of ways you might use a, a tool like that. One would be you're making a print and you've been editing the image in say pro photo or whatever, but when you go to print it, some of those colors are not printable and you want to make adjustments to make sure that they print the way you'd like to within the limitations of the printer. And so an out of gamut mask lets you target those problematic areas of the image. Uh, same thing when you're going to the web, right? sRGB is like the lowest common denominator. And there's right. a lot of 
beautiful colors that will show up on your wide gamut monitor that are not going to show up when someone else views your image on, on Facebook. And you can just let the computer make decisions for you, or you can try to take control of the process when you convert to another color space. And this is one of those ways you can do it. So I had mentioned that example in the V9 demo where I had that sky where I wanted to punch some color into the blue sky and ended up being just right on one side of the sky and a little bit too blue on the other side of the sky. And so in, in the demo, what I did is I created an out of gamut mask. And what it does is it helps automatically select that part of the sky that was too blue, um, proportional to just how crazy blue it was. So the side that was too much that didn't look very realistic was targeted really well. The other side that was already good is actually ignored. And then I can just dial back the blue in that area. So it becomes a really quick and easy way to take this oversaturated segment of the sky and fix that without just desaturating the whole sky. Right. Right. Without impacting it all. Yeah. Precision. (laughs) (laughs) I like that as the word for this. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to my, my friend, Matt Bishop. I love Matt. Matt's a a great photographer. You're not familiar with him. You should go follow him. He's, uh, he's phenomenal and uh, been a good supporter of the show. Um, he asked, where does Lumenzia stand against TK? And he, he said, he himself, Matt said, that's a good question. <laughs> so Matt, thanks for letting us know. That's a good question. But um, Greg, I, I don't know that I want to put you on the spot here because, you know, it's a competitor. I don't want to, <laughs> to make you speak about competitors. So I'll just share my own experience as we answer this question. Uh, unless you want to, Greg, do you want to answer that question? Um, I, I agree. I, I, I don't <laughs> right. use TA and it really wouldn't be fair for me to compare for a number of reasons. So I, I appreciate your, your thoughts. I mean, I'm certainly happy to share what I think is really great about mine, but I don't really want right. to contrast someone else's product. Right. And quite frankly, a lot of people use both and multiple options and you know, they like them all. So. Sure. Okay. So let, I, um, it, for people who don't know, let me just explain the TK panel. It's an extension panel, similar, very, very similar to Lumenzia as far as purpose goes. It's trying to help you with luminosity masking and some other things. It, the Lumenzia panel also helps with, um, you know, buried menus and stuff, making stuff easier to use in Photoshop. So it's not all just luminosity masking, but both panels uh, provide some some shortcuts to things and make life a little easier to do uh, use Photoshop. Um, so it, it's a panel that comes, it's called TK because it comes from Tony Kuiper. And he, um, he and Sean Bagshaw is a, a guy that's helped build some training too. They've got some training courses. They've So Tony's got some and Sean's created some and they've kind of worked together on it. And uh, in general, it's it's great. It's a great TK. The TK panel is also really good. I went down that path first. I didn't know about Lumenzia at the time when I was looking to get into luminosity masking. I kept hearing about it. I decided I need to like figure this out and see what it is so that I had it as a tool in the toolbox as I'm working on my images and want to get my adjustments, the, you know, accomplish my creative vision with my images. I knew I needed to understand this and add it to my workflow as, as a tool. So, um, I, I don't know how I came across TK initially, but whatever it was, I, that was the first one I investigated. I installed it. I used it. I got the training from Sean Bagshaw. I went through all that. It's great. It's a really good panel. It's definitely not like a bad option at all. I can totally recommend it without reservation and and you can go and check that out. I just personally like the approach because they're there's they're approaching it a little differently between the two, between Greg's Lumenzia panel and the TK panel. There's just a different 
thought process of how to get there. And I like Greg's better. So personal preference, totally just personal preference from me. And, you know, if, if you're going through this and you're trying to figure it out, it might be worth like getting both and comparing them. Or like Greg said, some people just kind of like having both there as tools and they might like one thing in one panel and another thing in another panel. And there's no limitations here on how you can do it. As far as you know, they are all compatible with each other, Greg. There's no problems having both. No, I, I've not heard of any issues with people installing multiple. I'm not aware of any conflicts with my software and any other panels. Okay, there you go. And, that's, and I think that's probably pretty rare for panels in general. Uh-huh, yeah. So. Yeah, I haven't had any issues. I, I've actually got a few different panels that I use, so um, I don't really, I don't have TK anymore. Just like I said, I find Lumenzia to fall in line with my own thought processes better than what I found with TK. They just had a slightly different workflow and thought process to it. And and I liked how Lomenzi approaches it better. So just totally personal preference though. It's not say that TK isn't an excellent panel because it is. All right, let's move on to Kim Allen Goff. And she said, how do I get started? I bought this software and tutorials last winter and I'm frozen in fear. What are good first steps? And Mike Regis added to that. He'd really loved for us to kind of go through a similar thing I did with Aaron Nace, who's a, also a, a master of Photoshop, and he just does, he has a really good way of approaching teaching Photoshop to people who are not familiar, super familiar with it, with the terms and the menus and the buttons and everything that's there. He does a really great job of it, and, and Mike would love to be able to kind of have. So I'm hoping this show is helpful in that way in trying to do it. But so, so Kim bought your stuff. Greg, and she's still just like <laughs> frozen in fear is what she said in how to get started on this. Um, I, I We talked about this a little bit earlier. I think it's hard enough for photographers after they've bought their camera, they have to figure out this camera, how to use it. <laughs> and then they have to figure out how do I use Lightroom? And yeah, there's some other options too, but Lightroom is by far the most prevalent choice out there. And, and people are, and just the the steps like Lightroom itself I wouldn't say it's fully intuitive. It's not something where you launch the program. It's like obvious what you should do. It's, it's difficult to figure out how do I do imports? How do I work on my folders? What are these sliders in the develop module? And wow, there's a lot to this and, and it's, it can be challenging. And then you go into Photoshop and it's like 10 times worse or hundred times worse of buttons and menus everywhere. It is so challenging. And now you have another layer on top of that with luminosity masking and some kind of thing that's there. And people just get like, they give up. They're like, I can't figure this out. This is <laughs> this is not going to work for me. And they go find like either automated things or something where it's one click to to do their photos and and that's good enough. Or just give up altogether and it's like I'm just going to do JPEGs on my camera and that's it. Which is you know if that's a getting what done what you want to do, no problem. That's great. But if a photographer like Kim wants to get the most out of it, Greg, I'm sure you hear this question constantly. How do you recommend people get started with uh, luminosity masking and Lumenzia in particular? Yeah, well, I've got um, I've got a, a web page and a section in the manual that comes with Lumenzia that is my recommended learning plan that kind of steps people through you know where should you go and and it's it's, it's a complicated question to answer because some people come into this with like thirty years of Photoshop experience <laughs> right. and some people like bought Photoshop so they could use Lumenzia, you know, which always amazes me because I'm just trying to make Photoshop better. But 
Um, so the you know the range of capabilities is all over the map. So I've tried to lay out kind of a a bit of a pathway to say you know if this is where you are, do this. I would generally say that you know the most important thing is is have a little bit of a vision for what you want to do with the image. If you don't have an opinion on what you'd like to do to your image, the whole process, the editing, the learning, it all becomes harder. Right. Because right. you know you know you can do anything, but you have to have an opinion. Um, but you know, beyond that, I would say, start with the simpler things. A lot of people come into, a lot of people equate luminosity masking with exposure blending, right? Combining multiple images to get better shadow and highlight detail. And that's one of the things that luminosity masks can do, but by no means are they synonymous. Like the, the universe of things you can do with luminosity masks is much more than exposure blending. And I find that exposure blending is one of those topics that tends to confuse people a bit more. So uh, my advice is always start a little simpler. And I think one of the things that's just universal, it's not that hard to learn and you can do so much good to your image is dodging and burning. So I usually try and steer people towards, try starting with the dodging and burning because once you, you know, get over that hill, like you can, you can kind of, you know, chip away at that one little piece at a time without having to take on too much. Whereas when you get into exposure blending, you have to make some big leaps up front. But if you're already familiar with, the general nature of these like grayscale masks from dodging and burning, you know, you're, you're kind of halfway up that learning curve already. So I think it's a lot easier to start with the dodging and burning. Right. I, I love that approach. And that's exactly what came out of the episode I did with Aaron and, and how to get overcome, overcome the fear of Photoshop in general, just people so afraid to go even try anything there. And it's because if, if you go in Photoshop and you don't have an objective, you don't have something you're trying to accomplish with an image what are you going to do? There's, <laughs> it is, there are so many things you can do. What are, how are you going to pick one and go on it if you don't have some idea of what you want to do with the image? So that that's like the very first step. Learning how to use Photoshop at all is having an objective, something you want to do in the image, something that you probably couldn't do in Lightroom would be a perfect thing that you want to do. Something where like maybe you are trying to use an adjustment brush and you've got that range mask and you did luminosity range, range masking and it was kind of close, but not quite what you want or what you need. Maybe you're seeing like halos or other artifacts that are introduced from that adjustment brush. And you just wish that there was a way you could get more precision and, and be able to do a better job with what you're trying to accomplish with that adjustment brush. That's a perfect use case for getting into Photoshop, learning how to use luminosity masks and be able to make that adjustment much cleaner and more precise. Um, I do think there's still a, a challenge there though, Greg, like if they're going to go over to figure out, okay, they, like they have an adjustment they want to make describing it. If they could get in a call with you and show the image and say, I want to do this thing, you'd be able to say, okay, here's how I'd approach that. And here's how uh, Lumenzi will help. And you, you could walk them through it and they learn. But when you don't have that, because not everyone can get on the phone with Greg, <laughs> then then how do we go to a generic Google search engine and start typing to figure out how to get there? There's like a big gap there in what you're going to do. So that and that's where a course can really help. So Greg, you you've got a, a master course available that kind of talks about luminosity masking in general. It does show how to use Lumenzia to kind of accomplish the luminosity masking techniques, but it just talks about the techniques and you could totally do it without Lumenzia if you, if you needed to. But um, is that a way you think could help people to at least understand 
how they could accomplish some of these adjustments, maybe learning some terminology along the way that is helpful so that when they do have a need, they know how to search for it. You might not remember it all the time, but at least I know I have a general idea and I could go search for it to find how to do that and then go accomplish that with my image. Yeah, I, I, I would say that education is probably one of the best investments you can make in photography, right? For it's sure. relatively cheap compared to any gear or trip right. or anything like that. And the payoff is far better than buying a new lens. Um, but you've got to be willing to invest the time. Right. But, um, you know, you can go a long way quickly. I mean, there's a lot of great courses out there. I've got, you know, a couple of courses and you can learn a ton quickly. But, you know, there's certainly plenty of other great uh, instructors out there. So I would definitely recommend diving into that. The other thing, if you're trying to figure out like what to search for in relationship to something around luminosity masking, uh, we've got a luminosity masking group on Facebook with like, I don't know, 14,000 people or something like that now. So the whole purpose of that group is learning. So, you know, you jump in that group and if you don't know what search term to use for what you're looking for, you pop in the group and say, Hey, I'm trying to do this thing. You know, how would I do it? Like, what's the right sequence of steps or what's the term I'm looking for or whatever. And, um, I see people doing, you know, things like that all the time. And that's, that's super helpful, right? Because, you know, how do you, how do you know what to even, you know, right. ask Google? And, and even if you did, it's not like there's an answer to every possible thing for luminosity masking online. It's kind of this endless subject. So I, I usually find, you know, rather than like being the tough guy and trying to learn everything on your own, go, <laughs> you know, use courses, go reach out to other people. And, and that's the faster path to learning. Like when I started out as a photographer 20 years ago, you know, I was reading like Ansel Adam books and, you know, trying to power through things on my own. And then one day I realized like, you know, when I go to courses and I go shooting with other people, like I get better much faster. Yeah, for sure. I, I, a couple of names that I've found helpful and there, this is by no means a comprehensive list. Uh, there's plenty of, of tutorials, but Greg's stuff, and that's Greg Benz, B-E-N-Z for people that are searching. Nick Page, of course, love Nick. He's He's great. And he has some really good courses that are are pretty short, like time-wise, it, it's not a massive sink in your time, which is, I know what some, some people get really concerned about is I'm going to be spending days and days on this and dreading it from that perspective. Um, and then Sean Bagshaw, I just mentioned him too. And even though that's not Lumenzia, um, his courses about luminosity masking are also really good. They do happen to show you how to accomplish things through the TK panel usually. So, you know, you'd have to decide what you're going to do there, but those are three resources that, that I, without hesitation can be able to refer everyone to. If, if you want to step up your game and learn how to do this learning, going through those courses will at least open your eyes to like, what's possible. How can I make this happen? And then the next time you're in Lightroom and you want to make an adjustment and Lightroom's not just not providing enough, then you know what to do. You know how to go and, and get more out of your image. So it's it's really, really powerful. And I'll add not just my own uh, endorsement to Greg's stuff, but Quinn Kirkland took the opportunity in our Facebook group to to give a compliment for Greg. So Greg, this, this was uh, for you. He said, I took his Lumenzia Bootcamp course with Nick Page a few years back, and I can't imagine photography editing without Lumenzia. It's so easy to use, and Greg provides tons of free tutorials on how to use his course. If you're not using luminosity masks for editing, you're missing out. Thank you. So thanks, Quinn. Thanks for that review. Hope that's a uh, good words for you, Greg. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, th I'll throw one other resource out there. Um, Thomas Heaton did a couple of videos on luminosity uh, yes. masking. He's he's not as much of like a Photoshop centric guy, and so he approaches it in, I think, a really nice way for people who are intimidated 
Uh, he did a couple of videos with Lamenzia. So if, I don't know the names of his videos. If you just search for you know Thomas Heaton and Lamenzia, I'm sure you find them. There's at least a couple. Um, but I thought he did a great job of showing people a couple things you could just pick up and and do without spending much time, you know, having to to go really deep and learn. So I, th- those were really nice videos. Okay, perfect. Um, the last question, um, and then we'll kind of close up this episode here, Greg, comes from um, Chuck Perry and Dan- Dace Voigt. Oh, I hope that's right. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> but uh, they both wanted to to ask you or pick your brain on this. Uh, I think a lot of photographers see that luminosity, or as images are shared, the ones that tend to mention that there was luminosity masking involved are landscapes. That's probably the the most prevalent thing you see out there. Those moody photos, super popular right now, that um, where where some ph- photographers will say they use luminosity masks to create the images. Um, the, Ch- Chuck and Dace wanted to know about how it might apply to real estate uh, or architecture. What, what do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the principles carry over directly from landscape, but there are certainly some aspects of, of real estate that are are pretty different, right? One is, um, you know, for a lot of these guys, if you're making a living doing this, you do not want to spend much time editing photos, right? And there's a real right. time pressure, right? you know, so I, I let people know, like, if you want to use this, like you can blend exposures very quickly once you learn the technique, but you've got to invest the time to learn the technique. It's going to you know, you're, you're not going to be editing things in 15 minutes when you first start, you know, but you can pretty quickly start doing blends in 60 seconds or two minutes once you know what you're doing. Um, a, another key tip I tell people is like, don't think just because you've captured like a bracketed sequence of images, now you've got it. You know, it, I mean, Photoshop in any regards is like anything else in computing garbage in garbage out. If you shoot images under really, really rough, lighting conditions because you had access to the home at noon and it was a bright sunny day, you're not going to make it look like it was shot at sunset, right? They're just limitations. And so knowing how to use strobe, knowing how to work with the light you have or coming back at a different hour of day, that's really critical. Like good images start from good raw files and and don't try to just use the the processing to make up for poor quality raw files. And sometimes it's it just is what you is, right? It is what it is. Like you you may not have had a chance to come at a different time of day. Right. right. But I think it's really important to try and control that where you can. Um, yeah, and and one last thing um you know, as you're doing this is you've got like the the mixture of like, you know, ambient light and interior light. Um, so you, you gotta be playing with with just mixed lighting conditions that are a little bit different. I do have a video on one way you can approach that sort of thing, but, but largely I think the concepts apply. So don't get too hung up on the idea that you have like hard edges or things like that. I mean, most of these techniques apply. Like you may have a hard edge on the side of a window, right? but I go and shoot a mountain and it has a hard edge with the sun behind it too. Um, You know, so if you can break down, you know, what the aspects of your image are in terms of like, light and shadow or white balance, whatever you think about more, just the principles there and don't get too hung up on whether you're looking at a mountain, a tree or a lamp. Um, you know, a lot of these things will translate. So unfortunately there's just not as many tutorials on the topic and I don't personally shoot a lot of interior, so I don't, um, show a lot of demos with it, but I, I do have a couple of my course. There's certainly some other folks out there doing some of this stuff, but I, I think the biggest thing is just shooting really good raw files and investing the time in, in the processing. And if, and if you're not willing to do those things, that's, that's fine. There's nothing against that. But if you're not willing to do those things, then it may not be the technique that you want to use. It may not be a fit for the way you want to work. 
Very good advice. I, I like it a lot. I raw or good raw files. That's where it starts. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, I do everything I can to try to make sure it's as close to the image I'm envisioning in the camera as I can get it. And if that means adding artificial light with portraits, then that's what that means. And learning how to do that becomes very important. Um, or figuring out, um, in the case of real estate, how to use flash and use it in an effective and, and fast. I've seen videos of people spending like all day <laughs> shooting an interior because they use the flash in like, you know, a single flash in all kinds of different locations in the room. And then they'll go and merge all of those exposures together to, to create a single image and they're beautiful, beautiful results. But the effort and the time it takes to get there seems like that's a, a losing proposition for a business if you're trying to do real estate and architecture portrait. Unless unless it's more of for fun and for you and you want to produce really stellar images, then you know go for it and 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 make that happen. Uh, well, and and you can do those things, right? You can you know use a strobe without having to go to that level. Sure, of, sure. Of all those shots. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe to throw like a more concrete example of what I'm talking about, of like where the raw quality matters. Let, let's say you've got a home you're shooting and it has hardwood floors. And hardwood, when you're looking at an angle, it's kind of reflective. Right. And so if there's a really bright exterior, there's going to be glare on that floor. And so if I shoot midday and there's a glare on the hardwood floor, you know, people may shoot a bracketed sequence of images and they think, well, I've got a darker exposure that covers that part of the floor. But every single one of those exposures has glare, right? Mm -hmm. Exposure blending is just bringing out the best part of the image. So there's no single frame in that sequence where you don't have a bad looking floor. The way you fix the floor is you shoot under different lighting conditions, <laughs> right, right. right? So you, you use the strobe to lift the interior or you come back later when the ambient's lower or something like that. But there's no exposure blend that's going to fix that if every single image has the same flaw, right? And, and that maybe sounds obvious when I say it that way, but Trust me, when people go through it, it's, it's definitely not obvious at the time. Right. Um, but, but that's the kind of deficiency in your raw that can, can be a problem when you try and blend. Because it's like, well, you know, the raw is the raw. Luminosity masking won't fix your raw. It just lets you bring out the best of the raw you have. And I think it's just important to, to say luminosity masking is just another tool that you can use to accomplish whatever creative vision or goal you have with the image. And so, so learning how to use the tool is important. And then how you're going to apply it to your specific shoot is it's going to just help you as another tool, another option, another thing that you can use to, to get the best image you can to create the best image you can. So that's why I think it can apply to any genre. We see it most commonly expressed in tutorials and everything from landscapes today, but you can apply to portraits. It can apply to real estate. It can apply to to macro um, because it's a, a technique and a tool that can allow you to accomplish adjustments that you want to make. Um, just depends on on how you run into them, what it is that you want to do, and learning how the tool is. Even if it's a landscape focused kind of tutorial that teaches you the technique, it's not hard to then take that that you learn the technique that you learn and be able to apply it to whatever genre you're working in. So don't let, I don't, I, I want to just not have people get hung up on, well, the tutorials are only for landscapes and therefore it does, it's not something that'll work for me. I, you totally can get what you need out of any kind of training that teaches you how to use Photoshop or luminosity masking, even when it's not in your genre, because the tool is still there and still works no matter what genre of photography you're, you're shooting. 
All right. Let's close up the show here, Greg. Um, you're going to give us a coupon code for Lumens. If there's people who are interested in buying the extension for Photoshop, um, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, they can just use uh, Taco25 at purchase good for Lumenzi or my courses, and I'll make sure it's good for uh, for two weeks from the, the date that the show airs. Perfect. And they go to uh, Lumenzia.com to, to get it? Yeah, yeah. if you go to gregbensphotography.com, you can get to Lumenzia or my courses through the navigation at top. If you want to go directly to Lumenzia, it's gregbensphotography.com slash Lumenzia. All right, and that's L-U-M-E-N-Z-I-A, in case you didn't know how to spell it. I yes, love and, it. and the code again was TACO25. Okay, TACO25, good for two weeks from this episode, which is airing um, early in January 2021. All right, let's go to our doodads of the week. And this week, um, I'm going to suggest a, an app that I had no idea I needed. <laughs> and and it resulted of, of a need. So I've been doing a, a whole bunch of testing on autofocus micro adjust, AFMA for short. And um, I've done this for years. I've, I've used AFMA as a, a way to be able to improve my autofocus system and keep it calibrated. And um, But I, I also have this tap-in thing from Tamron where I can attach the lens to a USB device and be able to put in some auto AFMA values in the lens itself too. And um, so I wanted to kind of figure out like, what does that do? How does that affect things? At the same time, um, there's the Focal software from Rikon that... Um, has a new release. I wanted to check that out and see how that was, see if I could recommend it to listeners. And um, I, I really think I can, but it's led to a bunch of testing, a whole lot of things that I needed to do. And I'm using my MacBook to connect to, to USB to my camera so that Focal can drive the, the camera and try different AFMA values. And one of the things I was struggling with, because I'll set my camera up and and while I'm doing my day job all day, I'll just have tests going on. And every once in a while I go over and, and, and play around with it and get the next test started. Um, I was, the test would get interrupted by uh, my Mac going to sleep and it would just kind of shut down the USB port and cause a, you know, make the whole test stop and cause problems. And what amphetamine does this, uh, it's a Mac OS app. It sounds terrible because it sounds like an illegal drug or something, but it's just an app that, that makes it so that you have better control, more precise control over when your Mac goes to sleep. And it can even be triggered. Like I've set it up so that when I launch Focal, Amphetamine sees that and will make it so that my Mac will no longer go to sleep and even make it so I can close the lid on the Mac and save my screen from being on all day long. And, um, and still be fully functional, even with the lid closed. And so, um, and then if Focal isn't running, then it doesn't do that. And it will be like the normal functionality that's there. So it's really cool software. It's free. And, uh, and so I, I can recommend it as something that I've found helpful in my specific use case. If you've ever had a need to make your Mac not fall asleep, then this is something you should check out. Greg, what do you have? Uh, I've got this thing. It's, it's a, little battery charger for 17 bucks from Amazon called Numoa, N-E-W-M-O-W-A. And uh, I've got it for the Nikon batteries. I think they make it for probably just about everything. I'm not positive on that. Um, but I, I love this device. It's, it's cheap. It's small. It charges two batteries at the same time. And it's USB powered. So I can charge it off of wall power off of my car charger, off of my laptop, off of a portable battery. I mean, so wherever I am, if I need to juice up 
you know, my batteries for my camera, I've got this device that's going to help with that. And it's really small and easy to tuck out of the way. So I just think it's like the coolest battery charger. And it's two at once. That's awesome. Cause we, it looks like it's about like the, you know, I, I shoot Canon. So I have the Canon charger that comes with your camera. It looks like it's at least as big <laughs> my Canon charger as this is. And it only does a single battery. So that's cool. That it does two at once. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. This thing's like, you know, about a third smaller than my Nikon charger and it does two batteries at once. It just yeah. couldn't be easier. Okay. That's cool. Yep. I might have to invest in one of these. I have like, I have like four or five of those Canon chargers uh, in different outlets in my house to keep my batteries charged so that they're all ready when I need to go to a shoot. So that would be good. Well, and, and for 17 bucks, they give you two batteries with it too. Oh, okay. Are they a Numoa brand battery? They're not Nikon brand batteries. Yeah. Right. But yeah, you get a couple batteries. So nice. That's cool. I'm actually going to be doing a battery test. I, I invested in a new camera and I'm, I bought some no name batteries that I'm going to test to see like, how do they compare with the one that came with the camera? So that, uh, that's going to be fun. All right. I want to remind everyone masterphotographypodcast.com is where you can find the show. Um, the show notes and everything we've talked about, the links that will be in the show notes. You can go to our Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. You can search for it. You do have to ask to join the group. We want to keep it to just listeners. And so you have to name a host on the show. So Jeff or Greg will work. And uh, my the Instagram account for the show is Master Photography Podcast. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or over at phototacopodcast.com is the other show that I do. My Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook profiles will also be in the show notes. Greg, where can people find you? Uh, best place, just go to gregbensphotography.com. And uh, down in the footer, I've got links to you know my Facebook and YouTube and, and everything else from there. So that's easy. It's just... Uh, Greg Benz. Benz is B-E-N-Z, just like uh, Mercedes Benz. Oh, like Mercedes. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> I like it. It implies the quality, which is good, right? <laughs> That's good. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much. Thanks, Greg, for joining me. And we'll see you all again in another Sunday. Thanks, Jeff.